G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. Imagine going out to your mailbox once a month, maybe even once a week, and finding in it a crisp check from the government which would cover all of your basic needs. This is not utopia. This is an idea that is increasingly getting bandied around. You have probably heard about it. It's called a universal basic income. And people have asked me to do a show about UBI for quite some time. How would it work? How would you pay for it? Uh, Is it really feasible? Why is it getting currency now? Why does it seem to appeal to people on both the right and the left of politics? But I wanted to find the ideal person to talk about it, and not just it, a whole grab bag of audaciously out there progressive policies that could reshape the future. The left the left is in a weird place. You know my thoughts about this if you're a regular listener to the show. Obsessed with identity politics, freaking out about Donald Trump, a little bit lost on what it believes in terms of economics, split between the Bernie Sanders wing and the sort of centrist, bipartisan, Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton wing. One person who's trying to shake that up is a young gentleman from the Netherlands who lives in Utrecht. His name is Rutger Bregman. He gave a speech at TED last year, which has been viewed millions of times. It was on the front page of the official TED page. This is not TEDx. This is the actual TED. Which was, and the speech was entitled, Poverty is not a lack of character. It's a lack of cash. He says that ideas can and do change the world. And he's making the case for a guaranteed basic income. He says this is an idea that's been around for 500 years and it could revolutionize the planet. And the only reason we're not doing it is because we're not courageous enough to do it. Rutger has a lot of other ideas as well. I mean, we didn't even get onto his his uh, opinions about open borders and immigration, which is another subject that I'd like to talk to him about at a future date. He's a historian and an author. He's only in his 20s, the little bastard. I mean, seriously. Can people just stop being brilliant at such young ages, please? He's published four books on history and philosophy and economics. His latest book is called Utopia for Realists, How We Can Build the Ideal World. And it's really interesting and refreshing to have a conversation with someone who is thinking big and who is, uh, yeah, as I say, as audacious in in what he wants to take on, regardless of whether or not you agree with him, um, just elevating the bar of things to talk about rather than constantly talking about the orange president or Brexit or whatever else it might be. Um, Bregman, the book has been translated into 24 languages. He's been nominated twice for the European Press Prize uh, for his journalism work at The Correspondent. Um, He's been in in the Washington Post and The Guardian. He can be seen on the BBC. The Guardian calls him the Dutch wonderkind of new ideas. All right, enough blowing smoke up his ass. Uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and the one and only Rutger Bregman. And this is We the People Live. Rutger, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. One of the things that we talk about quite a lot on this show and that I think people talk about quite a lot in general is the the decline of of the center, the fact that the left and right seem to be going a little bit crazy in their own ways and that the the things that we perhaps took for granted as being the reasonable middle for the past few decades are are fracturing with Trump and with Brexit mm-hmm. and with the rise of right-wing parties in Europe and in Australia. Um you would seem to to put the lie to that. Your vision is not one of accommodating um, some kind of centrist vision, but 
mm-hmm. how would you describe it if you needed to place it along a political pole? Well, that's that's a or hard would question, you not? actually. Um, I think that many of the ideas that I advocate uh, in my book uh, move beyond the old-fashioned distinction between the political left and the political right. Um, I think that many people are simply fed up with all the old debates about socialism versus capitalism or market versus state. And that they, these are often dichotomies that just don't really make sense anymore. Um, so if you think about it, like one of the ideas in my book is obviously the uh, basic income, you know, completely eradicating poverty. Is that left or right? Well, it's quite leftist in the sense that, well, as I said, it's completely eradicating poverty. And, you know, many on the left would like that. Uh, but it's quite right wing in the sense that it's about individual freedom and the individual right to decide for yourself what you want to make of your lives. It's very anti-paternalist. Um, yeah, and you make the point that Milton Friedman was one of the people who was who was in favour of this originally, and indeed um, exactly. Ronald Reagan I- implemented the what do they call it the alternative minimum tax or negative negative taxation rates, where basically if you're poor, then you will actually yeah. get you, you'll get money from the government if you're earning below a certain amount, so that as you start earning money, you don't you don't make it yeah. not worthwhile because you start which is taxed. a very watered down version. But yeah. I mean, in the book, I tell the story of how of all people, uh, Richard Nixon actually almost implemented a modest basic income. And the reason was actually quite simple, is that at the end of the 60s, in the United States and in Canada, almost everyone believed that some form of basic income was going to be implemented. You know, everyone was in favor of it. Milton Friedman, as you said, on the right. But John Kenneth Galbraith, the great left-wing progressive economist, thought it was a great idea as well. So uh, um, I'm, I'm more interested in sort of how we can change the whole landscape of ideas. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, the British Prime Minister, was once asked uh, what her biggest victory was, and she replied, well, my biggest victory was New Labour. So the fact that she had been able to change the minds even of her opponents, you know, that was her biggest victory. And and I'm more kind of i'm more interested in that kind of change yeah know, shifting and the whole landscape just just to transpose that that example from the british uh, to the australian or american the, mm-hmm. the the idea being there that prior to thatcher and reagan the left was a hard yeah. socialist left a very union dominated rigid kind of doctrinaire yeah, exactly. uh, statist left and then after after reagan and thatcher the left became this mushy squishy kind of clintonian triangulating third way mm-hmm. blairite uh, essentially conservative uh, centrist party um, one of the things when we talk about, let's just stick with universal basic income because I think it's a subject that mm-hmm. a lot of people are interested in. One of the things that that we that may appear to be a consensus, I fear, is actually not in the sense that when libertarians talk about it, they envisage scrapping Medicare and scrapping Medicaid and scrapping all kinds of social welfare systems and food like food stamps and so on, and just replacing them with a simple. One size fits all. Everybody gets a certain amount of money. In your model, I think you're talking about twelve thousand mm-hmm. pounds a year, which is about twenty thousand, twenty-one thousand Australian dollars, seventeen thousand U.S. dollars. So, still a very small amount of money to live on, but uh, it, you know enough to kind of get by if you didn't also have to pay for, for example, healthcare in the United States. If you had to pay for healthcare in the mm-hmm. United States, then twelve thousand pounds a year would would be absolutely nothing. That would just be your your, your annual yeah. healthcare bill, yeah. presumably. So, is there something of a false? consensus here in that the left thinks that this would be in addition to something and the right thinks this would be a great way to demolish everything that the left has been working towards Mm -hmm. for the past century? Well, I completely agree with you that you have to be a bit suspicious if suddenly there's a policy out there that Elon Musk likes and Bill Gates likes it and uh, Mark Zuckerberg likes it and then 
the left and all the progressives are supposed to like it as well. I mean, there's something suspicious, isn't there? Um, but um, I think that the the position of there, – there are some people out there, mainly in the U.S., libertarians who say, well, let's just abolish the whole welfare state. You know, let's get rid of universal health care or whatever we have, Medicare, Medicaid, and let's just implement one small cash transfer, and that will be it. Now, let me be clear. That, that will be a disaster. Uh, I think that from a, from a European perspective or from an Australian perspective, it's quite clear that something like healthcare, you know, public healthcare mm. is a pretty great thing, you know, is one of the milestones of civilization we, have achieved, we achieved in the past couple of decades. And obviously, you know, something that's working relatively well, you don't want to abolish that. I really see the basic income as a supplement, as the crowning achievement of both socio-democracy and capitalism. And, and therefore, I do think there is something that there are some good right wing arguments, business arguments that you can make in favor of basic income. I always like to call it um, venture capital for the people. You know, it gives you the freedom to start a new company, to move to a different job. I think it will unleash a lot of entrepreneurial energies and will make a lot of people much more creative and uh, help them to follow their ambitions. Um, so that's. Uh, in that sense, there is some overlap between left-wing and right-wing thinking here. But you're absolutely right that we have to be suspicious of some of the versions out there. So what is your vision of, of a UBI, of a universal basic income? For people who have only sort of vaguely heard about this idea, yeah. what would it look like in your world and how would you pay for it and what would you be able to do with the money and who gets it? <laughs> well, let's start with the umbrella concept. And the umbrella concept is, um, well, simply basic income. And there are two versions of that. There are two ways to implement that. So a basic income is is a way to introduce a floor in the economy, basically. It's a platform on which everyone can stand, um, that the li a life without poverty becomes a right instead of a favor. So you can always fall back on that. Now, the version that we talked about most throughout history in the 60s and the 70s in the US and Canada, for example, was the idea of a guaranteed basic income. Now, what you do in that scenario is just top up the income of all the, of everyone who lives in poverty and then phase the income support out. Now, it's absolutely unconditional. So you, you don't have to fill any, you know, dozens of forms. You don't have to do lots of interviews with government bureaucrats or whatever. But it's not a universal basic income. That That's the second way, basically, to introduce that floor in the economy. And we're talking a lot about that now, the universal basic income, which is just to give everyone, you know, the rich and the poor, um, a monthly grant that's enough to, to live on, you know, uh, enough to pay for food, uh, clothing, and, uh, and, and just, just the basics. Rutger, what's the advantage of making it universal? Because a person who earns $100,000 mm -hmm. a year doesn't need £12,000 a year to buy food and, and clothing. Mm -hmm. They've already got that. So the additional £12,000, why bother giving it to them? Yes, very good point. Well, actually, most of the rich, obviously, in my preferred scenario of introducing basic, basic income, would you know receive one basic income, but pay for five or 10 or 20, you know? It all depends on how you finance it, obviously. So I'd like to finance it in a way that it would reduce inequality. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, but it's all about framing, basically. Uh, I mean, if you make it universal, um, the whole stigma is removed. And then you can present it as something that everyone deserves no matter what. You know, it's just your birthright or, or your citizen's right, simply because you have the right 
passport as, a, as an Australian citizen, you get it no matter what. Um, you don't have to do anything for it. You can decide for yourself what you don't want to do with it. And uh, we know from international comparisons that the countries with the most universal systems of social security are in the long run uh, most effective in reducing poverty mm. simply because you remove the stigma. Uh, if you have a very targeted system of welfare, as they have in the US or in the UK, at some point, the middle class is going to think like, what's in it for me? Mm. Why do why why do I pay for these policies that don't benefit me? So um, this is one of the the old arguments um, that already you know in the in the 40s, Beveridge in in the UK said a policy for the poor is a poor policy. Uh, you have to make these policies broader if you want to have more income support. Now the most radical thing obviously would be to give it to everyone. So mm. that's one important argument in favor of universal to make it universal. There are important uh, other arguments, but there are counter arguments as well. You can certainly see that just in terms of the policies that we have at the moment, the ones that are the most mm -hmm. popular. I mean, the reason why Medicare and Social Security are beloved in the States in a way that food stamps are not is because everybody uses them. I mean, you know, once you turn 65, you will get Medicare. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. And similarly in mm -hmm. Australia, where we have Medicare for all, everybody loves it because everybody gets it. And even in Britain, where they hate the, NH the NHS because it's so underfunded, they still deeply cherish the, uh, it, the, the fact that it's universal. So you can imagine um, an appeal to a universal basic income that would be greater than, um, than that of one that is means-tested and only for the poor. But I wonder whether you've thought also about the possibility of sort of smuggling it in. Because I, I think if you told people that it was, mm -hmm. uh, that it was a universal basic income, the, the marketing of that, I think, might be problematic for people who are deeply individualistic and mm -hmm. you could like alaska for example doesn't don't they give if you if you're an alaska resident don't you get a thousand dollars in oil revenue a year which is essentially just mm -hmm. a, a a universal basic income i mean if you if you were a, an, a mineral rich country like australia and the government just said okay well we're going to have a mining dividend that goes to every family of five thousand mm -hmm. dollars a year everyone gets a, a, a cut of the fact that we're making huge profits from mining that'd somehow be mm -hmm. easier to swallow than for people to to feel like their dignity is being impugned by receiving welfare from the government. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you 100%. I think this is one of the main ways forward. Uh, you could argue that the, the biggest problem with basic income is the word basic income, because mm. we associate income with work, you know, deserving it. Uh, while the whole idea of a dividend is obviously that you get it no matter what. Um, mm. And that's really what I like about the the what they do in Alaska, which is hugely popular, by the way. Of course, who you know, doesn't if, want a thousand dollars a year? <laughs> yeah, and if you if you as a politician try to you know abolish that, it's just the end of your career. So once you, we have a basic income, it's going to be very hard for other people to get rid of it. I think. Where else has this been tried? Well, the the full idea of like um. A universal basic income for everyone that's enough to live on, which is absolutely unconditional, has never been tried anywhere on a national scale. So we don't know. What we do have are dozens of experiments uh, on the local level. Uh, we've got lots of different you know, systems of social security that look a bit more like basic income and some look, that look less about it. So we've got lots of like pieces of evidence that we can, that we can look at and, and learn from. And that's what I try to do uh, in my book. I just go over all those experiments that happened in the 70s 
Um, that happened in the past couple of years. We've, we now are actually living in a golden age of basic income experiments. You know, they've started one in Finland. There's a much bigger one, actually, that has just started in Canada. Uh, but the biggest one there is the one they're doing right now in Kenya with more than 10,000 people uh, participating. Um, so, yeah, those are the things we can look at. Uh, but if you want me to be like really honest, you know, we never really tried the full thing. Uh, I mean, I, so I can we hear people we don't thinking, know 100% for sure uh, I, what it would look like on a national level. I can hear people thinking we haven't tried the the 100% real thing because it would be just catastrophically expensive. It's easy to do in Kenya because mm-hmm. in Kenya people are poor and you get a lot of bang for your buck. There's a lot of low-hanging mm-hmm. fruit. Give people a dollar a day and it's going to make some kind of a difference to some people in Kenya. But mm-hmm. there are very few people in the West for whom even you know $10 a week is going to make a huge amount of, of difference. How Have you crunched mm-hmm. the numbers? How do you fund $20,000 for every every adult person in Australia? Mm-hmm. And how does that oh, not burst you know, the, you know, blow, blow the budget is, right This out? is actually one of the reasons why I have become a bit more skeptical about the the universal basic income. I'm now more more often I'm advocating a guaranteed basic income. And it's all about framing, actually. Because if you say to people, uh, we're going to give everyone a basic income, they're going to make the do the numbers themselves, right? So they think, oh, you know, I live in Holland. We've, we would give it to about 10 million people. And we'd say, oh, it's about 10,000 euros a year. Oh, that's 100 billion euros we Mm. can never afford that right so that's what the usual response is now there's a big mistake in this uh, in this argument and that is that we have to distinguish the gross costs and the net costs um if we would do it in the you know the universal variant of basic income many people would receive that basic income but uh, pay the same amount in additional taxes right so nothing would really change for them would you have a levy Um, Sorry? Would you have some kind of a levy that was a universal basic income levy so that, uh, you know, an additional tax that was earmarked on people's tax forms, uh, when you say that they would just pay the same amount as they're receiving back? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah, well, you know, oh, when there I was mean, a gun buyback in Australia, they introduce a gun levy. You know, there's a Medicare levy in Australia so that yeah. you can see it on your taxes. Oh, this is the bit that's going towards Medicare. You could imagine having yeah. a thing that says, you know, this is the proportion exactly. of your income that was going towards the UBI. Exactly. And, and you could do it. In, in, in a way like that. But in the end, it has to be financed, obviously, right? The, we're not going to just print the money and, and, and throw it from helicopters or, or, or something like that. <laughs> that. That would be good um, politics, though, for one election well, there's cycle. Actually, actually, Milton Friedman advocated this. He called this helicopter money, and he said it was a great way to get the economy started again if there was not enough demand. <laughs> <laughs> and there are actually, in Europe, there are some economists advocating it. It's true. This, you would be anyway, more it's, likely it's to spend 50 bucks that had been thrown, that you'd caught at from a, falling from a helicopter than one that just landed yeah. in your bank account from the, uh, the central bank. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but obviously, this is not a feasible, long-term way to financial basic, finance a basic income. Now, if we look at the net costs, how much would it cost to build this floor in the economy? How would it, much would it cost to completely eradicate poverty? Well, you know what? It's really cheap. It's really cheap. You know, I've looked at d- numbers from different countries and nowhere it's more than 1% of GDP. So if you look at the, the numbers in the US, which is obviously a country with a lot of poverty, uh, especially for a developed country, um, it would cost, according to a recent paper by three economists, it would cost about $350 billion to implement this guaranteed basic income, or as economists call it, a negative income tax. Now, is that is that much, $350 billion? Actually, if you look at just the cost of poverty, and in this case, just the cost of child poverty, 
Well, that's already $500 billion in terms of higher healthcare spending, higher crime rates, you know, kids doing less well in school. So the argument that I've been making a lot in the past couple of months is that it's actually cheaper to eradicate poverty than to combat the symptoms of it. Hmm. Um, but what, what's going wrong in the basic income debate all the time is that people confuse the gross costs and the net costs. And this is a one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a bit more skeptical now about the universal variant, simply because it has this huge framing problem. Mm. And how are you going to explain this on national television as a politician? 